Happy Thursday and welcome to the Not Boring Podcast. I'm here today with Eric Satz, the CEO of Alto IRA. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're building? Jeez, Packy, that's like a loaded question, man. We got to start there. Sure. So Alto is a platform that makes it easy and cost effective for individuals to access their retirement savings and invest in alternative assets. I know that's sort of like a mouthful, but if we unpack it for, for just a second, you know, most people think they can only invest their retirement savings in public company stocks and bonds, you know, the old sort of 60-40 portfolio allocation. And I think those days are, are beyond us. I, I think we're past that. And I think we've got a retirement crisis on the horizon. If we don't change the way we allocate our investments, we're, we're going to be part of those folks who, who are wishing they had. And so I think the shift that we're seeing right now is from what, what we refer to mostly as passive investments. So public company ETFs, mutual funds, index funds funds into more active investments where we're choosing proactively to make investments in other asset classes, which includes venture capital, private equity, real estate, crypto, credit products, could be collectible art or automobiles. And, you know, the traditional brokerage dealers, so the Fidelity, Schwab's, E-Trades and the like, they don't allow you to invest in these asset classes. And that's where Alto IRA steps in. That's what we do. Very cool. And so how should people think about constructing their retirement account? Is this, you know, with Alto, I should take 100% of my retirement savings and put it into startups. Is there some sort of allocation that makes sense? How do the professionals do it? What's the right way to think about this? You know, that's an amazing question. And Actually, I'm going to go back to why I started Alta to begin with, and and that's because I looked at the give or take $30 trillion that are sitting in retirement accounts today, and only you know on the order of 2% are invested in alternative assets. And so call it two to five, whatever, still small numbers. You got to compare that number to what the pension fund and the endowment fund managers do, and, and they will invest somewhere between... 25 to 50% of their portfolio into alternative assets. I think Yale is pretty famous for at any given point in time, holding between 50 to 80% of its portfolio in alter alternative assets. On, on the other side, with respect to individuals, you know, we, we've got high net worths and ultra high net worths who, who are going to have between call it 10 to 25% of their portfolios invested in alternatives. So why do the rest of us only get 2%? You know, it, 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 it's been really hard to accomplish what I refer to as true portfolio diversification, which includes alternative asset categories. And no, you don't take 100% of your portfolio savings and, and invest it all in, you know, one early stage venture capital company. You might as well just go to Vegas and bet on red. That That's not a good strategy. Instead, what you know, there are some folks who say 10 and 10, which has great alliteration. And I think that is directionally correct, right? You take 10% of you, your, your assets and you put it in 10 different asset categories. I, I think the reality is that's a little bit harder to accomplish for most. Instead, I think something more on the order of five and 20, right? So you find five categories that appeal to you from an investment perspective that you do your homework on, and you can put 20% of your assets in each of those categories. And by the way, one of those categories can be public equities, 
right? So public equities maybe accounts for 20% of your portfolio. Maybe another 20% is real estate and 20% is early stage companies. Maybe 20% is crypto. We're certainly headed in that direction. So that's more of my philosophy. And, you know, I, I think it really speaks to, again, the, the real order of true portfolio diversification that I think serves us best because the thing that you get with diversification and sometimes counterintuitive is you get higher returns and lower volatility, which is great. It's been one of the themes that I've written about, I think, the most over the past years, platforms like Masterworks, which I know you can potentially invest in, like AngelList, uh, I've written about Fundrise, a bunch of these where if you start pulling all of these different asset classes together, one, it's a more fun portfolio, but two, yeah, the math just says the more different uncorrelated assets that you can put together, the better your portfolio is going to do on a risk-adjusted basis. So I am a huge believer in the democratization of alternative assets. Why do it through an IRA? because of the tax advantages, okay? You know, the system is set up to incentivize us to save in our retirement accounts. That's the system that was set up, okay? And, and there are essentially two sort of large buckets of retirement accounts, right? There, there are those that grow on a tax deferred basis, and then there are, are Roth accounts that grow on a tax-free basis. The tax deferral ends when you begin to take distributions at retirement age, and it's tax-free on the Roth side and grows tax-free and comes out tax-free once you hit retirement. In both cases, you get the benefit of what Einstein referred to as the eighth wonder of the world, which is compounding returns, right? And, And so if you don't pay you don't have to pay taxes along the way. You're going to end up, you know, over whatever your investment horizon is with a much larger number. It's not linear. It's exponential. Okay. It's hard to show exponential versus, versus linear in a podcast, but, you know, go, go look up exponential curve versus linear curve. And that's the difference between, you know, paying taxes currently as you go and and deferring those taxes over a lifetime. That's why you invest in an IRA account. Yeah. I've I've seen charts where, you know, compares one, you know, a wealth front or something with their lower fees to a traditional fee that you'd pay and what that tiny half a percentage point discount does to the portfolio over a lifetime. Here we're talking about, you know, let's say you 10X an investment and you get, you have to pay capital gains tax on that. If you're being generous, 15%. That adds up in a massive, massive way. Yes, it does. You're going to get no argument from me on that point, Packy. So let's let's switch over a little bit to company building. So I think the kind of the first product and the one that I'm in the middle of signing up for now is very consumer facing. It's the self-directed IRA. I log in, I take money out of my old 401k or IRA, move it into Alto IRA, and then I can choose to invest with Alto as kind of my bank account for the different alternative asset investments I want to make. That is very straightforward. I think you also have on the roadmap kind of a lot of growth through APIs, channel partnerships. It's this really fascinating way to build a company. Can you tell me how you think about also where it is today and then how you see it growing over time? Yeah, so I'm actually going to go to the end and maybe then we can come back to the beginning. So so for us, the end is Alto everywhere. Basically, we want it to be as easy for you to invest with your IRA as it is to otherwise invest with your bank account. My dog's like being on podcast too. So again, Alto Everywhere 
and th- and that means that via APIs and through our the the network we've been building and the infrastructure that that we've been building with our partners, whether you're at Masterworks or AngelList or Farm Together, Acre Trader, Equity Zen, uh, Republic, WeFunder, whoever it may be, you with the click of a button you can make your investment. And all, all of the necessary approvals are are built into that process, such that you're just checking a box and signing your name electronically on the platform, which is pretty much what happens today, by the way. But back to where we are today, we're just sort of getting to that interesting part of what we can do with our APIs and with our integrated partners. And that's because we've been building this infrastructure for the last three years. You know, we, we haven't really focused on marketing. We haven't focused on telling people what they should and shouldn't do. Instead, we really focus on building out our platform and building our product and, and working towards a place where it becomes self-explanatory, easy to use, and by the way, scalable and cost-effective. And so that's where we focused our efforts, but it's all leading towards this, you know, sort of auto everywhere concept, which we hope will be really investment changing for most Americans. I think some of my favorite types of companies are the ones that just abstract away so much crap beneath the surface. And I would imagine that that dealing with retirement accounts and taxation and all of this has been a slog for the past three years. What's the thing that's surprised you most in building Alto IRA? Yeah. So I think this actually takes us back to the origin story and in part why I started it, which is that for me to make my first self-directed IRA investment took me about eight weeks. The requirements of that investment, you know, we'll just refer to all the requirements as the goalposts. The custodian I was using kept moving the goalposts. We know we told you we needed X, Y, and Z, but now we need P, D, and Q. And by the way, we reserve the right to change our mind and need A, B, and C again, you know, in a different format, just in case. And by the way, I did all the work. I went and had to get signatures from the company uh, company I was investing in. And then at the end of the day, I wrote a check to the custodian. And I was like, wait a second. I just did all the work for you. And I'm writing you a check so you can do what exactly for me? like report to the IRS each year, you know, being a custodian is not complicated. It is a commodity. I want to be really clear about that. It is a commodity and anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. What we have built, what's important about what we're doing is the network layer, the infrastructure and the application layer of what we've created. It turns out You have to have a custodial stamp in order to do this, which we do. But let me repeat, being a custodian is a commodity. Enabling automated transaction execution online on our platform, that's where the value is created. And that's the big difference. And so the reason we got into the business is because it was just insane before. And, and, and what we're trying to do is, is make it easy and affordable for everyone to participate. And I guess the, the next question that would come from that is, why hasn't somebody done this before? I mean, like to, to see an asset class that is $30 trillion, there's, there's nothing like that. An asset class, I guess it spans asset classes, but to see a pool of money that's $30 trillion, how has nobody done this before? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have wanted to do it. I think they've talked about it. I, I, I think, you know, I think they've always thought there were maybe one too many hurdles involved in the process. But I'm going to go back to your former question. So the thing that surprised me the most as I, as I researched whether or not we do this is, can we identify the actual set of things that are required for a custodian to do its job? Because every custodian I used in the process of researching the space had a different set of things, which didn't make sense to me, right? And so we identified those things. And, and those are the things we asked for, nothing more, nothing less, just what's required, right? So that was the thing that was most surprising. So, so the answer to the why now has to do with what was happening in the, in the, larger, in the larger marketplace. The SEC was clearly taking an approach to enable broader access for all Americans to alternative assets, which had never happened before. We have a changing definition of what it means to be an accredited investor. We have the Jobs Act, Title III, Reg CF, opening the doors for people to participate in private company investment in a way that they never could before. And by the way, we now have those laws changing again in a very positive way because they've made the necessary amendments, the edits to the original regulations, so that now the ceiling, instead of being a million dollars, is $5 million. And guess what? You know, people are saying, hey, but, but a lot of those companies couldn't even raise a million dollars. Why do you need to raise the ceiling to $5 million? And the answer is because that misses the fucking point. The point is, if you get to $5 million, now you can have venture capitalists participate. Now you can have institutional investors participate. Now you can have the people who do this for a living provide signal, not noise, signal to all the retail investors in the marketplace and say, hey, we think this is a good investment. You should too. And by the way, that's a fucking game changer. Amen. I mean, I think I've seen it on a micro level with Republic, right? Where I think Republic for a little while had this reputation of, yeah, like maybe you raise $40,000 from a couple of your customers there. And now companies that have more demand for their equity than they know what to do with are raising on Republic because they can raise larger rounds. They can raise rounds that, that are priced by professional venture capitalists that have retail participation. So you're seeing it in that one area. And then you see it happen, like you said, across art, farming, credit, all sorts of asset classes. The question there then is, what happens to those asset classes? And this is a little bit off script, but what happens when you provide that much liquidity? Does the lack of correlation carry over? Are retail investors somehow going to change the dynamics of those markets? Like, what do you what do you see happening to alternatives as they become more democratized? You know, so my crystal ball Sometimes it gets a little bit blurry and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to that particular question. I think what's really interesting about alternative asset classes is that for the most part, they, they, they've been inefficient. Okay. There's not perfect market knowledge. Now we could get into a very long debate as to whether or not public markets are efficient. Okay. But, and, and actually that, that whole conversation changed like two weeks ago, right? <laughs> so, but, but actually it, it highlights the benefits of alternative asset classes because the thing that's true about public markets is that they've always been manipulated. Who the manipulators are seems to be changing. 
you but but what you can't do in alternatives is, is manipulate that way you you can't wake up and you know publish a report to 10 million to 10 million people and say hey let's drive this thing to four four hundred dollars a share because alternatives don't trade that way right and and so whenever you have an asset opportunity where information is inefficient there there are returns opportunities that don't exist elsewhere yeah so i mean i think one of the big themes one of the reasons that i've you know as i've gotten more into startup investing over the past year one of the things that i love is that i'm able to see the companies that i'm using every day get to meet the founders and have this opportunity to participate in the earlier stages where a lot of the returns haven't been sucked out of the company. The flip side to that, I would say, is I could get totally wiped out here, right? And so now I'm playing with a small amount of money, but I'm an inexperienced angel investor and these could all go to zero. How should how do you think about that, I guess? How do you think about people who having access to things that are more active, less passive when they have less knowledge and maybe it's a little bit more fun to do? So, you know, I know myself, I'm gonna be throwing a lot of money and alternative assets in Alto as soon as as soon as the wire hits. How do you think about that tension between giving people the autonomy early and the protection that, that comes with investing in something that you're not as familiar with? Yeah, so I, I think there are two, two answers to that question. The first answer is that I think it's important for people to know that public market investing is not safe. Just because the SEC says you can go public does not make your company a good one. And you know this is where I think data is important. If you look at the 26,000 plus public companies that have existed since the early 1920s to today, less than one one thousandth of them, give or take 26 companies, call it, account for basically 30 plus percent of all the returns in the market. In total, 4% of all public companies account for 100% of the returns in the market. That means you got to push, you have 0% return on average for the other 96%. If you look at the mode, meaning the frequency of returns, the single most common return for a public company is negative 100%, which means it went to zero. Okay. So answer number one is public company investing is not by its nature safe. And picking the winners is hard. So now, private company investing. Picking the winners is hard. Just the same as public company investing. And and I think the key is when you do have a winner, you have to double, triple, quadruple down. Okay? Because the key in any investing is for your wins to be huge. And all of your losses, no matter how many of them you have, for them to be much smaller. Okay? Now, from a responsibility standpoint, because we are providing access, I think we have an even greater responsibility to provide education. And so as we build out our team, we will also build out our education section and and how we think about what questions do you ask in diligence? Why is this a big market opportunity? Why is this the team to bet on? What do I think about this asset sector and why? And so there's a lot of educations that take place, but I'm going to remind you that, you know, the, the, the people who are quote unquote in control, 
the, the regulatory agencies, our government, the powers that be, they also said that we couldn't invest in public companies at one point because we're not smart enough, right? And apparently that's not the case anymore, right? So private markets will develop the same way public markets developed. They need to. By the way, we're terrible traders, okay? The, the majority of us are terrible traders. We buy high and we sell low. You can't do that in the private markets. You can't wake up and, and, and see that your stock fell 25%, panic and sell. It's not possible. So it's like this built-in protective measure. I would, be, I would be a billionaire at this point if I wasn't allowed to sell. I, you exactly. Know, Facebook at 19, Tesla at 29, Shopify at 70, whatever. And I've sold most of all of those investments. And so most if I just did. had a holding period, I'd be totally fine. Yeah. What yeah. is what does the world look like in like, this is such a huge opportunity. It feels like you're gonna be working on this for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. When you're successful in 10, 20, 30 years, what does the world look like? You know. <laughs> Again, the crystal ball. What's with all the crystal ball questions? When you stayed up at night and dreamed about what it possibly could look like. Yeah. So there are two things that come to mind for me. The first is that whoever the CEO of Southwest Airlines is calls me and says, how do you treat your customers so well? That's the first thing. Like, yes, we are a fintech and we are a technology business, but I sort of think of that as table stakes. Now, we want our table to be nicer, faster, better than everybody else's, but it's still table stakes. At the end of the day, we have clients. This is their retirement money. It's personal. There's something that we live by at Alto. And, and by the way, I'd encourage anybody to go check out our, 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 our core values because we do live by them and they're important to us. But in terms of how we treat our customers, I like to say that we act with urgency. And, and urgency doesn't mean, you know, just doing things quickly. It means doing things with intention and with the understanding that this is important to our customers. And so, you know, I, I, I'm waiting for that day when whoever the CEO of Southwest Airlines is at the time calls me and says, how do you do it? Then I will know we have performed. Uh, on, on the other, you know, People already think I'm crazy. BlackRock wakes up and says, what the fuck just happened? Like, how do we miss that? That's my other answer. Yeah. It's amazing to see. I mean, now that I'm in the process of an actual Alto about to be customer here, in the process of trying to move money out of one or two different uh, 401ks or IRAs into Alto, how miserable those product experiences are. Just trying to find... <laughs> my account number. I had a call. It was Voya slash ADP. Yeah. I had to call and ask for my account number because it was nowhere on the site. It didn't give any tips. It didn't do it. And they're like, it's your social security number. How'd you not know that? Like I was doing something wrong when it said it nowhere and I was looking for an hour. So it seems like the customer focus is something that a lot of people say that, but that is an actual differentiator in the space that you're in. Again, back to the beginning. When we were starting this and we did our research and our homework and, you know, talked to people who were customers about, who were customers of, of the self-directed IRA custodians that existed at the time. I mean, the vitriol 
that came out of those discussions was intense, right? And and so it became very clear. And I've been in you know retail businesses before, and so I I I think anyway that I know how important this is. I so so there's a saying right, which is that good news good news travels by boat and bad news travels by plane. I want good news to travel by plane. And, you know, this space, this investment space, this alternative asset investment space is in dire need of good news. And that's what we've been trying to bring to it. And, and you know, hopefully as a result, people will tell their friends. Amen. Well, I will be. Last question here, which is, you can see why you need to compete with the incumbents. It's a huge market. Alternative investments are getting hot. New companies are going to come in. What's the Alto IRA competitive advantage against those new companies that come in? And why should people listening to this go right now to Alto IRA and set up an account? Yeah, because look, I, I, I think we've changed the nature of the discussion in this space, right? So it used to be that if you compared your experience at Alto to the experience of the legacy providers, you were like blown away. But already now the conversation is, and, and this is why we're going to the Alto Everywhere vision, already the conversation is, I want it to be as easy as my bank account. And that to me, I mean, it's an incredible compliment. It's like, so, so they're complaining to us that investing with their Alto IRA is not yet as easy as investing out of their bank account. When just, you know, 12 months ago, they were complimenting us for how it's just a total game changer relative to the legacy providers. And so we have a vision for where we're going. We want to run really fast. I'm totally fucking paranoid. And, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to run fast and do it better than everybody else. If we succeed, we will have competition. And that's good for everybody, right? We don't have all the answers and other people will think of other stuff. And I think ultimately we all benefit as a result. And so, you know, I hope we're successful first and then other people can be success, successful after. <laughs> I love it. And then if people want to go get, get started, this does seem daunting to just think about moving something that you never think about normally, which is your 401k or your IRA. How do you go get started? Yeah, altoira.com. And I think you click on the get started button in the upper right-hand corner. And, and honestly, it is, it is fairly painless. You know, I, I, I think you can, from start to finish with, you know, doing your, from creating your account and doing your transfer of asset form, so long as you're not like packing and have to go figure out, you know, what your account number is, you can probably do it in like 15 minutes. Amazing. All right. So that's altoira.com. Eric, thank you so much for the conversation and looking forward to starting to invest with Alto. Packy, you rock, buddy. 